This is the Action Network Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM, the golf edition. Of course, I'm Jason Sobel. He is from the 21st group, my friend Justin Ray, making his triumphant return after a couple of weeks of paternity leave. Congratulations, my friend. It is great to have you back. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's been a, a wonderful, sleepless, exciting, stressful time, as you know, as a, as a father of two. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. Little, the, the little guy's amazing. So Jack's doing great. Mom's doing great. And uh, family's very happy. So thank you for the kind words. So happy for you. I know a lot of the listeners out there are happy for you as well. And happy to have you back because uh, we're going to go through this week's Memorial Tournament, talk about uh, Colonial last week, the Charles Schwab Challenge. We're going to get into our five questions pretty soon, make our DFS lineup. So, so much to get to this week. Uh, first, I, I want to dive back into... Uh, what happened this past weekend, of course, uh, really turned into a two-man event. I'm not sure how many times the broadcast team said the words match play, which it, it really wasn't, but uh, it turned into Jordan Smith and Jason Kokrak. It's actually match play. It's not match play. It's <laughs> really not match play. And so uh, Jason Kokrak, of course, uh, comes out on top. Uh, got a couple of Jason Kokrak questions. First, let's, uh, let's start with Spieth, who didn't have anything going on Sunday. I mean, he admitted afterwards just – it, he his swing was not there from the first minute, from the first tee shot. And so um, in the middle of this, and look, I, I am, you know, young Jack Ray has done a <laughs> tremendous job so far in his, what, two and a half weeks on earth? Yeah, two and a half weeks and counting. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I, I don't want to heap too much heavy stuff on Jack so far. But uh, on the front nine, as they were playing, you sent me a picture of young Jack wearing an Under Armour golf shirt. Uh, yes, I did. I, I'm not sure if we can get hashtag Jack's Jinx uh, <laughs> trending yet. <laughs> all right, listen, first of all, you but, tell the full depth of the story because okay. Uncle Jason did something awesome when he went to the Masters this year. He oh, got no. a little miniature Masters putter. It says 2021 engraved on Like, it's so cool. It's a perfect little gift for uh, father, more for father than son, really. But really cool gift and i want i you got to take a picture an appropriate picture of the gift and send it to the guy that sent it to you so it, it all made sense to put jack in the little under armor onesie and you know he he was ready to watch jordan spieth pick up the w in fort worth and it all went horribly awry i mean the day that uh, jack was born jordan shot 63 i will say that so okay. um there's a little bit of a texan connection there um some good vibes but it just it wasn't to be hopefully we can't He's two and a half weeks old. We can't hold him responsible for like angry betters. Jason, maybe it could be, he he could be the youngest golf expert ever to have, you know, like angry betters tweeting at him. Like it's your fault, man. You did this. I really don't want that to be his first, you know, thing he's known as in, in, in life. That's not something that I'd aspire for as a father. All right. To have some angry Henry golfer, two, seven, eight, five, nine, three, (laughs) one. Yelling at him because he jinxed, you know, some dude on the back nine at Colonial. We, we, okay. we can't have that. So, first of all, uh, <laughs> I was not bringing this up to fish for the, um, you know, oh, Uncle Jason sent him a, a club. That was not where I was going. <laughs> Secondly, I just I just thought it might have been interesting. Throw, throw an MGM hat on Jack for the back nine and, and see what happens. I, you know, I'm sure we could have yeah. got one of those from somewhere. Well, we'll have to dial that up for uh, for the future, maybe for the U.S. Open. We'll see if we can get some good vibes going in that direction. So never too okay. early to start my son off with a gambling addiction. Let's go ahead and you know, get him the game early on. No, uh, bet wisely, bet intelligently. Do not I bet above kidding, your means, Jack. I, I, you know, I'm I'm not saying go all in with the uh, the allowance already. <laughs> um. Let's get to Jason Kokrak. I uh, obviously uh, very impressive what he's done so far. I've been waiting years for Jason Kokrak to break through because he's always had the look of a guy. Uh, I kind of liken him to Gary Woodland. You look at him and you go, 
yeah, that guy should be really good. I mean, if you lined up a hundred PGA tour players and you knew nothing about them, nothing about their games, and you're just trying to figure out the guy who's pretty good at golf, you'd probably, you'd point at Gary Woodland, you'd point at Brooks Kepke, you'd probably go down the list and you'd look at Jason Kokrak and you go, oh, that guy should be really good. And he is, and he's gotten much better recently. He's turned um, what was a, an average, maybe even below average short game and putting game into uh, what's now a positive. And, and he's done a really solid job of that. Congratulations to him. There's one thing that I put on Twitter on Sunday night. We're talking now on Monday evening. Sunday night I put that, you know, look, there's a no-nonsense guy. He's got a little attitude, doesn't back down. We just saw him beat a hometown hero down the stretch on Sunday afternoon, maybe a decent asset for the Ryder Cup team. You wouldn't believe, Jay Ray, how many people on social media immediately fired back saying, oh, you're going to put him on the team right now, but what about this guy? And what about that guy? And it's only May. And what about this? And I, but I, I, I did not put him on the team. I said, <laughs> interesting. He'd be probably a pretty good asset. I could also Something say the same think thing about, about yeah. <laughs> 19 other players right now for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. But let's start there. What do you think about Kokrak's A, possibilities of being on the Ryder Cup team and B, um, how he might fare if he was on the Ryder Cup team. Well, you mentioned his improvement in his short game. It's not just improvement. It's like an astronomical change in how his putting numbers have gone. He was outside the top 100 in strokes game putting each of the previous six seasons. He is currently sixth on the PGA Tour in strokes game putting. He's one of the best, most consistent putters on the PGA Tour. And we were going into this year and you were going to say the first three multi-winners, multiple winners on the PGA Tour this season, Bryson DeChambeau, you, you might guess that. Maybe. The next two are Jason Kokrak and Stuart Sink. What? So, I mean, that just shows you how unpredictable it is. But to get back to um, your question, I mean, I think it's interesting. I was thinking, you know, about uh, a guy like Sam Burns as well, a younger guy who's got unbelievable talent and has really shown to be, you know, somebody who's growing into his game is going to be really successful going down the road. You know, if you're the U.S. Ryder Cup team, don't you want to go beyond who is just the next five guys on the points list? Which, if I was to, if I could make a bet on one thing that will happen for the U.S. Ryder Cup team this year, mm-hmm. it's that the the six captains' picks will be the five next five guys on the points list that don't automatically qualify. And Phil Mickelson, I could just, I, I would write. The, I mean, if I could make that bet, I would make it right now because they're so formulaic in how they put that team together. And I don't know, maybe that it's a little bit reflective of the response you got to just the idea of somebody new, a guy who's won twice on the PGA tour, who has awesome numbers this season across the board from a ball striking perspective, Jason Kokrak might be a great fit in the Ryder cup. We don't know, but we've got the same old guard for team USA, you know, year in year out. And I say this fully knowing that some people will know that my company 21st group, we work directly with the European Ryder cup team. So like, <laughs> I saw Phil Mickelson win the Ryder Cup, and and it was a great moment. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, they're totally going to put Phil on this team, and he's going to go 0-2. That's the first thing that I thought of for the Ryder Cup. And I'm thinking, because, I mean, look, he would it would totally make sense to have him on the team, but he hasn't been particularly successful in the Ryder Cup throughout his career. So I'm kind of meandering around the topic. But Mm -hmm. I think that it's – I don't know how good of a player he'd be. I haven't looked at what the metrics would line up in terms of – who he would pair with, but you look at a guy who's had an unbelievable improvement in his putting. He's always been a really good ball striker. I know for years he was just known, Kokrak was known as a guy who just hit it a long way. But this is a guy who's really become a complete player. You mentioned in your mind you have Gary Woodland. I looked at the last three players to have their first multi-win season after turning 35, which is what Jason Kokrak's done. He had no wins in his career before this season. Now he has two in this wraparound season. The last three to do it, Jason Duffner won a major championship. Henrik Stenson won a major championship. Francesco Molinari won a major championship. And another guy, Jimmy Walker, had his first multi-win season when he was 34, won a major championship. So, look, this might be a guy who's coming into his own later in the game, but it's not like we haven't seen this over the last several years. Could he be another Jason Duffner, Jimmy Walker in his late 30s, make a Ryder Cup team, contend or maybe win a major championship? Yeah, sure. He definitely could fit that mold. Okay, so a few things I want to respond to here. The first is that I agree with you about Phil Mickelson being on the Ryder Cup team. I just think there's too much uh, in a political arena as far as the PGA of America running the PGA Championship, the PGA of America running the Ryder Cup, uh, Phil Mickelson being Phil Mickelson, being who he is, Steve Strickland being who he is. And I don't know that it's necessarily 
undeserved, uh, you know, and it, but that leads to the second part of what I want to say, which is too often, I believe the European team, and you probably have a little more insight into this than I do. I believe the European team with its captain's picks puts together a team that has the best chance of winning on the golf course. I believe the U S team and everyone asks what's wrong with the American Ryder cup team year after year, after year, whenever the team doesn't win. And my contention is that the captain's picks that are added are so often, and I don't know, you know, there's some situations, you know, a couple of years ago in Paris, three years ago, it was Tiger, it was Phil, it was Bryson. I believe Finau was the fourth captain's pick. I, I don't know where else you go other than those guys. I don't know how you leave those guys off in that moment, but I think too often the U.S. team is built as who deserves it, who should be rewarded with a spot on the team, as opposed to whose skill set works for this golf course. Who could we team with a guy that's already on the squad that would work really well with them? So I don't know if Kokrak is an answer to any of those questions. I do know, obviously, he's a long hitter and he's playing well. He's in good form now. doesn't mean he'll be in good form in late September. But whistling straight should be a course that you would think would suit him pretty well. And I don't know that there's a player out there. I don't know that he's got a whole bunch of like good buddies on that roster. You know, he hangs out with like Pat Perez and guys like that, you know, guys have a little bit of an attitude, but I also don't think there's a guy on that team that would say, no, I don't want to play with Jason Kokrak. He seems like the kind of guy you go. Yeah. Can I go to battle with that dude? Absolutely. Let's do it. And I hope it's a, a you make because, a great point. That is yeah. a great point about, the team roster being more of like a reward. So what is this? The, is this the major league baseball all-star game or are we trying to put together a team to beat Europe? You know, that like I look at a guy like Kevin Kisner is probably never going to get higher than what 15th or 20th on that Ryder cup points list. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about how good Kevin Kisner is in match play. He was great at the one president's cup he played in in 2017. The America just absolutely destroyed the international side. Like the, there's players like that who you kind of think would fit uh, a a pick eventually to get onto that team. But you think about it and you're like, well, we have to put him on here. We, how can we leave this guy off? How can we leave this guy off? How can, and you get to the point where you just run out of spots. So um, maybe adding those extra uh, captain's picks, of course, uh, Stricker has six picks he can make this year. Maybe that changes it a little bit, but I mean, like you said, you mentioned the political aspect of it. If I could make any bet, I'll say it again. They'll take the next five on the points list and Phil Mickelson. And those are going to be the six picks. I, I tend to agree with you. Maybe this is the year they say, you know what? Kisner has been really good match play for a long time. He hasn't gotten a chance. Let put, let's put a guy like Kisner on this golf team, on, on this roster. In which case you would then turn around and say, you know what? Three years ago in Paris, that golf course really suited his game. He would have been great for the team. Whistling straights, not so much. So yeah. careful what you wish for when you try to go uh, at these things. So anything else from this past weekend strike you as uh, it's really interesting that you want to get into any, anybody up there uh, that you look at and you say, man, you know, that's, that's a very interesting name moving forward. I'll give you one uh, because I spent some time with him at Kiowa and I really like him moving forward. And I'm really mad that he's not playing this week because he absolutely would have been my pick, my favorite outright pick. And I don't know why he's not playing, but Justin Rose uh, made eight birdies on Saturday, the PGA, eight birdies on Sunday, finished T20 last week in a place where he's won before. He has a win and seven top tens and 14 career starts at Muirfield Village, and he will not be in the field this week. I, I sat down last night to, to sit and write my preview and start picking out names, and the first name on my list that I had written down was Justin Rose, and I literally got a third of the way through the preview and went and double-checked. I, he's, wait, he's not in the field? But – so that, I did the exact same thing. I, 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 did the exact, I had notes written out for why I like Justin Rose this week. And then I was like, I should just look at the field list to make sure. And he's not there, but yeah, he is very interesting moving forward. He seems like whatever happened with that manufacturer he signed with, with Hanma, whatever funk he got into. Um, I don't want to totally blame the manufacturer, but there's a reason why he left and mm-hmm. went to another company. Um, I think he's finally working his way out of that. And he's getting closer to the guy we saw three, four years ago than, when we saw one or two years ago when he was kind of struggling. The only other takeaway I have is that, so Jordan Spieth now in his career, he's put himself in great position over and over again. There's going to be some days where you just don't have it, even even the best players in the world. And that's kind of the way he was ball striking on Sunday. But he's 10 for 20 now, 50% converting 54-hole leads or co-leads in his career. 
you look at guys like DJ, Rory, Justin Thomas, they're all between 50 and 60% over the last 10 years converting. And then it just makes you just think for a second about how unbelievably insane Tiger Woods is in his career. 55 for 59. The PGA Tour average the last 10 years converting with the leader co-lead going into the final round is 35%. Tiger went 55 for 59, either tied with or leading entering the final round. Just, it just, you know, every once in a while you take a step back and when one of the world's best players, like what Jordan Spieth is now, doesn't convert, it reminds you of just how insane Tiger was for, you know, 15, 20 years. Tiger's been sharing some secrets over the last few years. I wonder if at some point some of these secrets about winning, not, not about the swing, not about the grip, not about posture, not about anything else, but here's how you win. I, I wonder if at some point these strategies, the, these, these things that he's figured out better than anybody else has ever figured them out, I wonder if they come to fruition with other players. I wonder if JT at some point goes, man, I've, I just spent you know five days every day over at Tiger's house hanging out with them, just talking about winning and how to win and what it means. And all of a sudden, just something clicked. I go, oh, that's how you win golf tournaments. And, and he goes out and peels off five of the next 10 uh, <laughs> that he's playing in. I, at some point, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I don't have an answer to it, but Tiger certainly knew how to win golf tournaments. He's talking to all these other young players. JT is the perfect example. Rory's another good example, but I'm sure there's many others from Ricky Fowler down to just other guys that live in the South Florida area and hang out with them, talk to them. Jason Day uh, at least used to talk to him a decent amount. I just wonder if at some point that rubs off on some of these guys, just the the how to win, not just, hey, you know, winning's great. You guys try to win more. It's it's really cool. But just how do you figure out how to win? Basically, and, and in so many of those 55, Tiger just played defense. It was just give him yeah. the Heisman, hold him off, and I'm just going to win this golf tournament. Right. I was going to say one of the keys to being that good and, and in that situation, be the best iron player possibly of all time and the best clutch putter of all time. That might well, Yes. Those are good <laughs> points. To that I know exactly what you mean though. That kind of like, I, I think of uh, there was the 2008 Arnold Palmer invitational tiger went into the final round. I think he was five shots behind Sean O'Hare. This was either 08 or 09. And he was the, he was favored to win. <laughs> Going into that day, and he was five back. He was in the final pairing, and of course he won. And of course he won. He caught O'Hare in like eight holes, and he won. He was five shots off the lead. So you just think about it. The Tiger know going like that night, going to sleep. He's like, he looks at, oh, I got his ass. Oh, there's no chance. I got this. We'll go out and you know catch him on the front nine, play defense on the back, and win by one, which is what he did. What is Sean O'Hare thinking when he goes to bed on Saturday night? Like. Well, I mean, I'm just, I gotta just go out there and, you know, if I shoot even par, I should probably win this thing. So just go make some par. Nah, it's just, sorry, nah, dude. bro. Nah, nah, bro. <laughs> Not happening. All right. We're going to get to the, uh, our favorite plays for the Memorial Tournament in just a minute here. But first, let's get to our five questions in five minutes. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is five under. Number one, Muirfield Village this week, of course. Jack tournament, uh, Jack Nicholas's tournament, Jack Nicholas's golf course. Your favorite Jack Nicholas statistic. There are a few to choose from. So my absolute favorite just kind of embodies how unbelievably consistently great he was in the major championships. Jack Nicholas has 46 top three finishes in the majors 46 not only is that the most all time it is 20 more than any other player in history tiger woods is second with 26 so that's got to be my favorite um the fact that he has more runner-up finishes in majors than wins is insane considering he's the all-time leader in in wins i think it's 19 runner-up finishes in majors phil's second all-time with 11 i mean just to show you how how many opportunities he had to win in those big events it's just it's never going to be matched again in the history of the sport. I knew what you were going to answer with because I saw your tweet back to me after I had tweeted a Jack stat. This isn't necessarily my favorite Jack stat, but I think it's very relevant in the moment because as you mentioned earlier, we have three players this PGA tour season who have multiple victories who have two. Like it's not like, Oh, one of them's got six and one's got four and one's got three. It's each of them have two Bryson Stewart sink and Jason Kokrak. And so I went back and looked at Jack and from 1962 to 1978, Jack had multiple 
win seasons every single year, 17 straight. I mean, that's it's just crazy. Insane. I get it. The fields weren't as deep and this and that, whatever. That's still really, really good. I don't care who you're playing against. And what's the DJ's run with at least one win right now is the longest on tour and it's 14. But that, if you throw that out, people will dispute it with you because one of those seasons in DJ streak, he won the WGC in China and so there's a, a calendar year where he doesn't have a win, blah, 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 like you get thrown it back at you. But, yes, the two multiple wins in 17 consecutive seasons, that's never going to happen again. I can go ahead and – I'm going to go ahead and say that now, that that will not happen again. I assume that no one else has done that. I mean, I was just – No, because Tiger would have been the only one to get close, but, of course, he had the winless – the win streak in every season end in 2010 – um, and then I think he, he had earlier in his career, I think I want to say he had a season where he only had one win kind of when he was in the middle of a swing change. So, right. uh, but yeah, no one else, no, not, not Sneed. Yeah. Sneed didn't do anything like that. I don't think so. I think that 17 is actually the record for most, con- most consecutive seasons with one win. Oh, wow. And he did okay. it with two. So <laughs> I'm just going to throw another one on top. You know, give me 30 Jack seconds. Say, I can confirm that, but yes, you I know, think who's first Jack, you know, who's second also Jack we're tied. <laughs> 17 straight years. Um, let's get to uh, question number two. Uh, okay, this is a multiple choice question. Who's your favorite Memorial Tournament winner ever? And, and I, I will give you two choices. William McGirt or David Lingworth? Oh, I got to go with William McGirt because I was there that year with, mm. with Golf Channel. But this tournament has a they, – they'll give you some random one-offs, won't they? Like Really? Golf that, that's kind of the point of that, yeah. revered. You know, yeah. Well, you know, Lingworth at his peak, really good iron player when he got hot. You know, when he and yes, I just said the sentence Lingworth at his peak. I realized that <laughs> I'm I'm officially back. Yeah, I, that was the dorkiest golf sentence I think I could possibly say. Lingworth at his peak, but no, he had a good run on some die courses. He's a, he was a pretty, but yeah. And I'll go with I'll go with uh, Dirt McGirt because because uh, I was there. That's the only other reason I have. I can't confirm, by the way. The record for most consecutive seasons with a win is 17. Okay. Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer both did it. But as you said, Jack Nicholas won twice in each of those seasons. At least right. twice. Uh, I was at both of those as well. Uh, Wilma Gertz, one of my favorites, a great dude. Um, I will say, quick little story here, quick little interlude. One of my favorite moments ever covering golf was after Lingworth won, his wife had his parents from Sweden on FaceTime during the press conference. And so, like, there's a press conference going on, and, like, it wasn't muted or anything. So, like, she's kind of holding it up, and, like, David would say something like, oh, we're so proud of you. Like, it was great. It was really funny. I mean, you know, you could kind of hear them coming through the phone. And then afterwards, she brought the phone up and gave it to Jack and said, hey, Jack, would you mind saying hi to David's parents back in Sweden? They They just watched everything. They're so excited for him. And Jack picks up the phone, and, like, any grandfather... Back in 2015, I believe this was, who has never really used FaceTime before, holds the phone about three inches from his nose and yells into the phone, Hi, this is Jack Nicholas, which I just thought was tremendous. I mean, it was just, he is every grandfather ever when he's doing it. You don't have to shout so that they hear you in Sweden, like your voice. (laughs) The phone is right there. That's tremendous. That is awesome. Question number three You've been to Muirfield Village, I've been to Muirfield Village. Uh, let's get serious here. Favorite milkshake flavor. I'm really happy you asked this. This is a really important question. Mm. And the thing is, if you get to the clubhouse and you ask them, you want part chocolate, part peanut butter, you got a little Reese's cup thing going. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's money. Like I I like, I like the strawberries really good too, but you go half and half, like a chocolate peanut butter. That's the sweet spot. That's, that's where I'm going to go with. Uh, The Buckeye, which is, it's sort of, that um that might have been what i got yeah maybe i thought i was being unique or interesting it's basically just yeah chocolate peanut butter will give you a buckeye um what's fascinating by the way for those of us uh great unwashed to you know media public whoever you are during tournament week you can glean a lot about specific players just by standing in the milkshake line for instance i had one year where player just i'm standing in line player just went to the front of the line goes yeah, I need six of those and, you know, just give me a box and on the, and just didn't acknowledge that he skipped seven other people in the line, just went straight to the front of the line. I had another year where a player said, hey, I'm in a hurry. I, 
I'm so sorry, guys. I got to like, I will and like left a big tip for the guy and, you know, like apologize to everybody. Like, I'm so sorry. It's, it's in the player locker room. I mean, it's really, it is more for yeah. them than for us. And so, yeah, of course. I, I had another player who just stood right behind us and hung out with us. And I mean, a player that I knew fairly well, just he was waiting to get a milkshake and he was not going to, you know, go in front of whoever it was. He's like, I don't know who's in front of me, but I'm not going to like cut them in line just because I have a tea time tomorrow. And so uh, you can glean a lot about uh, different players and their personalities just based on being in that milkshake line during Memorial week. So uh, question four there, I, I always, I get to this time of year, Justin, I, I have a hard time keeping up with us open qualifying just because there's so much else going on in the world uh, yeah. of golf. And it's just, it's like, man, I, I wish I could, you know, I wish I was at some point covering the U S open as opposed to just covering golf. And like, that was sort of the sole focus because I I'd love to dive into it more. What I have seen is there are a whole lot of withdrawals so far. Does the U S open need a tweak for their system for qualifying? Man, that's a tough one to get thrown out right. Uh, with yeah, no prep. Um, I've always thought that it's kind of, I've, kind of loved but maybe not always like the qualifier that comes right after memorial in columbus the next day right like there's a certain hectic madness to it Mm -hmm. where you know there's all the players who played at the memorial the previous sunday the next day they're playing in a qualifier in the same city trying to get into the u.s open and maybe that always makes me kind of feel like all right these are some of the best players in the world or they're guys with a bunch of wins and you got guys like what ricky fowler jason day are going to be playing in the um qualifier it kind of makes them revert back to you know junior golf days or college golf where there's this kind of randomness in their schedule thrown at them and they've got to play in this big event right after playing in a pga tour event i've kind of liked that part about it but um yeah that's tough to say if they need to make a change with it um you know i i think that one of the things i've always loved about you know growing up and well into my media career and maybe even now the U S open was always my favorite golf tournament because it was the most democratic of them all. And you can say that the open championships gotten to that point now too, with their global qualifying series. But it's one of the things I've always loved most about the U S open is that, you know, anybody with X handicap can climb that ladder and play through the qualifiers and get a spot in the championship. So um, it's tough to say, I kind of see where you're going there with it's tough to keep track of all the different qualifiers and everything, but there's, there's some certain aspects of it that I wouldn't want them to lose. As we're talking here, I didn't quite get it, but I was thinking of the Roy McAvoy line about um, it doesn't matter. There's man. I should have just pulled it up beforehand. I was a little too late getting there, but we all know it. Uh, There's something about stripper in there somewhere, or there's something about give it uh, the old steroid jerk. That's, that's one of my favorite lines from there. Yeah. No, this one was like, you know, talking about specifically the U S open where uh, it's the most democratic tournament of all time. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a great player, if you're, you know, blank, blank, and blank. It, no, it's eluding me right now, which I, I was going to go with, you, I was going to go with Cheech Marin. You always play better shit face. That, wow. That's a great one too. We could sit here and just do tin cup lines forever firing chili peppers sure. up Jansen's ass. I mean, which is, I, to me, Tin Cup gets a full extra star. I, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. It gets a full extra star for not saying, hey, you know, like either just using generic actors and giving them generic names or having actual pros, but giving them different names. The fact that you're actually using the, the true professionals who are, who are part of the game. And so it's not firing chili peppers up Smith's ass. It's Lee Jansen's ass. It's just that part of it to me, you know, having Peter Jacobson win it, like that was cool as hell. I, I thought that like really made that movie. So in any case, uh, yes, I love the fact that it's the most open and democratic uh, golf tournament, but I just wonder if not that you need to coddle or any, do anything special for the world's best players, but when a lot of the world's best players who aren't necessarily qualified already are just saying, you know what? I just, it's, I got a long schedule. I just can't do it. As opposed to the guy who is a driving range pro and yeah, I'm going to drive a thousand miles to go play in this 36 hole sectional qualifier. And if I get in, I get in, which is great. I love that story. I don't know. Again, like you, I don't have a great answer for it. Do we need more top professionals as opposed to non top professionals in the U S open? Maybe not. Maybe we're good already and just, hey, whoever gets in, gets in, which 
again, I'm, I'm with you. I, I always have loved the U.S. Open because of that. So it just feels to me like there are a lot of withdrawals right now where guys are just saying, look, I want to play in the U.S. Open. I'm not going to screw up everything just to play in the U.S. Open. Now, speaking of which, question number five. Uh, for those who, you know, maybe take a long holiday weekend and weren't paying a whole lot of attention, I'll catch you up here. But uh, Shan Shen Fen on Sunday uh, reached the semifinals of the inaugural Bank of Hope match play on the LPGA, played at Shadow Creek. It was a really cool event. And she lost in the semis and went to a what was supposed to be a consolation match with Aria Jutanagarth. And the difference between third and fourth place was just under $23,000. And Shan Shan with the U.S. Women's Open coming up this week at Olympic Club said, no, thanks. I'll concede. It just said, no, I'm, I'm not playing in this thing. Consolation. I, I, she didn't say this. She just said, I want to rest up. I am perhaps paraphrasing her thoughts, thinking, who cares about a damn consolation match? This is stupid. I'm going to go to San Francisco and rest up a little bit before what's going to be a really big week. Your thoughts on her decision. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. Like, do we know that, okay, let's say if she plays the constellation match, then she's got to fly out Monday and then she doesn't get to play a practice round Monday morning at, at Olympic, which is more valuable to her. And like you made this point, I think either on Twitter or in your uh, preview article this week um, that look, the Constellation match is entirely for television. Yes. It's literally only there. And this goes for the WGC match play too. I mean, look, you can earn some world ranking points. There's some money on the line, FedEx Cup points, whatever. It exists because they need something to show in between shots of the championship match. Because the slowest golf tournament broadcast of the year is the championship of a match play because there's only two guys hitting shots. And most yeah. of it is... Most of the, if you only had those two, it'd be most of your broadcast is just two dudes and their caddies walking up a fairway. Like there's just not that much action to show. So that's why the constellation match even exists. I'm perfectly fine with it. If she, if now, if the fact that this is a major championship next week, that probably lends me to be okay with it. If she had just said, ah, screw it, I don't want to play and, you know, she's off next week. Okay. I think then we're having maybe a different kind of conversation about, you know, desire to win or whatever, but I don't feel that way at all. I think that if this was what she thought was best for, her, you know, getting rest, maybe it means an extra half day at Olympic to prep, you know, it's the U.S. Women's Open. It's the biggest championship in the women's game in my eyes. And, you know, she felt that that was more important. I completely agree with you. I will also throw out another small conspiracy theory, which Fen uh, herself did not throw out there. So I am trying not to put words in her mouth, but uh, many LPGA fans were dismayed at the fact that, and, and it might've had something to do with the fact that this was a late addition to the schedule, but it was barely on TV. And when it was on TV, most of it was yeah. tape delayed, which is you take this really cool event with a lot of really good players. You've got some great matches going on. You've never really done this at shadow Creek, especially for the LPGA. They used to have a match play that I believe was in New Jersey, but you've got a great backdrop for this whole thing. And you don't really put much on TV. I, I don't know that Shan Shan Fen is necessarily carrying the banner for the entire LPGA, but our former employer decided not to air much, much of this. And when we say, hey, this consolation match really is a TV product, I wonder if there's any small percentage of her decision that was, hey, you know what? You don't want to show us on TV that much, but then you want me to play in a match just so you can show it on TV. Here's what you can do with your consolation match. I hear you. I, I kind of agree too. I mean, that was one of the things that was kind of disappointing. I was really excited about seeing that match play event. Um, but same week as a senior major, you know, same week at the PGA tour is always going to take precedent um, from the broadcaster's perspective. And, you know, they had more, they, they felt that the, the senior major was a little bit more important. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but if that was a statement she was trying to make, then, you know, it was delivered, I think. Yes, I, I think so. And, and I don't necessarily mind that statement. This is Action Network podcast producer Matt Mitchell here to tell you our friends at BetMGM have a great new sign-up offer for our listeners, a $600 risk-free first bet. Here's how it works. If you don't already have an account at BetMGM, just sign up, make your first deposit, and place that initial wager. If the bet wins, you get all the money. If it doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $600. It's that simple. 
Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the features gamblers like us love, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, they're compatible with BetSync, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $600. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Uh, let's get to the Memorial Tournament this week and looking at the odds from BetMGM. Uh, uh, Jay Ray, I would say on most weeks, you and I could probably probably come pretty close to, to nailing uh, at least the names on the board. And, you know, I think we'd get within, you know, a, a point or two on the numbers. But uh, I'm not sure we would have necessarily gotten this. There, there are some interesting ones, at least going down the top. For me, John Rahm is your favorite at 11 to one. I, I, I'm not exactly sure other than winning this golf tournament last year on what uh, was a very different golf course than we should see this week. I'm not sure what makes John Rahm uh, the favorite and such a favorite, but he is the favorite at 11 to one. Uh, Bryson at 16, Jordan at 16, JT at 16, Rory at 16, Colin Morikawa at 18. He, of course, won uh, the workday on this golf golf course uh, the week before the Memorial last year. Victor Hovland at 18, Xander Shoffley at 20. I'll go down the list just a little bit here for those who are still getting into this week. Hideki, 22. Cantley, former winner, 22 as well, just like Hideki. Uh, Tony Finau with a nice record there, 25. And Corey Connors, the last man, uh, who is shorter than 31. He is at 28 to 1 this week. Um, I, I don't know. Is it just me, or does that seem like a – sort of weird kind of mishmash of, you know, Hey, I guess Rom won, so we'll make him the favorite. And then a bunch of these other guys, they're really good. So we'll just like put them all tied for second. It's tough. And if you look at another book too, that I had up as well, they have Bryson as the ninth highest to win on the board, mm. which I thought was, I thought was a mistake when I read that, but their, their mix one to 10 is kind of like Rom's the top on, on the other dra- uh, bookmakers board as well. But it's like the same 10 names, but they're in a completely different order. So maybe that speaks a little bit to the lack of a really dominant player right now in the sport. You know, Dustin Johnson is not playing this week. He's number one in the world, but he hasn't really played like the number one player in the world for several months now. No. I mean, there's a little bit of a we, – we've mentioned a couple of times, the three guys with multiple wins this season on the PGA Tour, it's a little bit of a mishmash of guys who – there's a lot of guys playing some pretty good golf, but there's no one who's an overwhelming, you know, dominant player here. Um, I'm interested to see what those course changes are like. I know they, they, they added a bunch of trees, which I think is going to be interesting with some of the, so the way it looks a little bit visually, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, but yeah, no, at the top of the board, like Rom, I can see why he's a favorite in the, this week, not just because he's the defending champion. His ball striking metrics are still really high this season. He's third in strokes gained off the tee, third in tee to green, sixth in greens in regulation. He's outside the top 100 in strokes gained putting. That doesn't necessarily bother me as much this week because the Memorial Tournament is one of the like least indicative strokes gained putting success leads to winning weeks. It's it's one of the least important weeks of the season when it comes to that. So he's really interesting to me. The other guy who's near the top of the board who's fascinating to me this week, which Rory McIlroy are we going to get? Um, he played the par fives over par at the PGA championship, which he's literally only done three times in his PGA tour career over the course of 72 holes, his par five scoring average, his rank has dropped each of the last five seasons, which I thought was really interesting because when you think of peak Rory McIlroy, he's eviscerating par fives. And that's a way that he's able to get that huge advantage on the field, not necessarily doing it this year. He's down to 48th on tour this season in par five scoring four top 10 finishes and nine starts here at Jack's event, which you know, it's a nice, nice history for him. He's got some pretty good low rounds uh, throughout his career, the Memorial Tournament, but he's really interesting because I don't know which guy's going to show up, the one who won at Quail Hollow or the one we saw at Kiwa. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think that if I'm looking at the top of the board, uh, of those really big names, JT is the guy that I probably like the most. I, I looked at the last time JT went six consecutive events without a top 10, which he's done right now. 
uh, culminating uh, this past weekend at Colonial, uh, was early to mid-2019. And right afterwards, he went on a tear where he won like, he won two or three in the next seven and had a bunch of other top 10. So um, he's going to turn it around. And when he does, you want to be on the right side of it. And much like the Players Championship, where he's got a little bit of a bigger number for who he is and how he can go out there and dominate, that, that maybe there's some thought there. I, I will also peel back the curtain just a little bit, Jay, Jay Ray. And um, this being especially, I, I'm always working on uh, my research, usually during the final round of the previous week's event. And so... This week being Memorial Day weekend, I was playing in a golf event on Monday morning, and so I wasn't going to have the time on Monday to sit and really finesse and, and, and go over sort of all my work going into it. So I was going to finish everything on Sunday night. And of course, the odds are not out. Not any reputable book, at least, has odds out on Sunday night. So a lot of them I'm guessing at. And so I put down my favorite outright play, which I thought would have a pretty good number next to it. And I had a whole reason. And the reason is, you know, there's, there's a nice little narrative going at Muirfield village where young players who certainly aren't surprises over the last few years, but uh, have used this guys we know are going to be stars have used this event or at least this venue as a stepping stone to bigger and better things. Bryson in 18, Patrick Cantley in 19 last year. I don't know that you put John Rahm on that list. He doesn't really fit kind of i mean you know maybe if he wins the u.s open this year we'd say hey memorial's like the a big one before that yes give you another one hideki matsuyama he, he one, one of his first wins in his career was at the memorial tournament as well there you go and i was going to throw in colin morikawa who of course won the workday work last yeah. year but still uh, at the same venue and you know of course won a pga championship not long after that and so looking for an up-and-coming young stud who we all know is going to be a star and is playing well victor hovland is my guy uh, didn't play great at the Memorial last year. Had one really good round and three really bad rounds. Remember how tough it was finishing 48th place. Did finish in third, though, at the workday on the same golf course the week before. I think this week is going to play more like the workday than the, the Memorial last year. I just don't think it's going to be nearly as hard as it, it was before they tore it up uh, for the Memorial tournament at, right afterwards. And so uh, I liked Hovland. And then I see this morning on one book, Hovland was the second favorite on the board, which is unbelievable to me. So uh, I'd like the people out there to know that I am kind of flying blind when I'm making a lot of these picks and writing the preview stuff, especially this week, because I wasn't going to be working much on Monday. Um, and then all of a sudden, like, you, you know, there's nothing worse than that. Like, Hey, here's my favorite. He should be like eighth or ninth on the board. And then all of a sudden it comes out. It's like number two, number two. <laughs> okay. So I still really like Victor Hovland this week, but I, I, not quite as much as um, the books might like him. I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I'm a little flabbergasted the fact that he is, uh, his odds are that short, but yes, I, I still like him. Um, and, and yeah. I was going to say one more thing about Hovland, which I found out today. A little surprised to see this. Leads the PGA Tour in scoring average this season. Victor Hovland. It's Ooh, been something, it's done. the number, the leader has been in flux. Russell Henley led for a little while, but yeah. Victor Hovland, currently the leader on the tour in scoring average. I feel like very quickly, Jay Ray, we've gone from even like at the players championship two months ago, I feel like we were at a point where we go, man, the best players in the world are all playing really well. And on any given week, these guys are all studs and they're all, they're all just like playing great. And this is, you know, golf is great and the world is wonderful and it's really hard to bet on. <laughs> and I feel like we've gone from that point to you look at all of the game's top players right now and you go, well, he's got that thing, he's got this thing, and he's got the other thing, and there's not one that looks infallible right now. I mean, John Rahm, we're sitting there looking at John Rahm as the favorite. I'm like, I'm going back looking at what John Rahm's done lately. I'm like, eh, it's okay. I mean, yeah, but yeah. he's certainly not a guy where uh, I'm sure, and granted, Tiger factors into a lot of this, but if you looked at Memorial Tournament favorites over the years, there's a lot more good stuff going on in the weeks leading up to this event usually for those favorites than John Rahm's had. Maybe the perspective we have that is that you shared there where we don't feel like the best guys are playing their best. Maybe it's just a little bit skewed from Kiowa, you know, where Phil won at 50 years old and Patty Harrington was tied for fourth and Ricky Fowler hadn't had a top 10 in whatever, 15 months. And he showed up, you know, it was kind of a, a crazy, um, you know, outlier a little bit, you know, that week. And it, maybe that's one of the reasons why we feel that way. 
another guy who's toward the top of the board, who I think is really interesting this week, Patrick Cantlay has an awesome history in this golf tournament. He's won here before. He leads everyone in birdie average in his career here. He has the best cumulative score to par at the Memorial Tournament the last five years. He's also missed the cut four of his last five tournaments that actually had a cut. I don't know which guy we're going to see, and he's maybe he's maybe the most indicative of that, these elite players right now where you don't really know what you're going to get, where kind of Rory's in that vein, Rom's in that vein. I like your point you made about JT because – you know, his finishes haven't been flashy the last month and a half or so. But if you look at the underlying numbers, his ball striking hasn't been bad. It's been traditional, really good JT ball striking. He's just had some abysmal putting weeks. And that's something that can get hot and cold with Thomas. So um, I think he's, you know, he, he's somebody who's interesting to me this week going into it. Yeah, I'm on Cantley. 23rd at the PGA Championship in his last start, coming off a handful of miscuts before that. But the ball striking numbers were pretty good at Kiowa, so uh, certainly much better than They've been all right. I give you those top 12 on the board. I won't read through this entire, we're going to call mid tier sort of 33 to one and longer this week, but I won't read through all the names, but there's a lot of value on this part of the board. I think this week, uh, I'm just going to reel off a few names and see if, uh, if my list and your list uh, cross paths at all here, Patrick Reed, 33 to one, like it, Gary Woodland, 40 to one like that. Joaquin Neiman, 40 to one. Love that one. I think he's ready to play some some really solid golf. There's going to be a lot of Charlie Hoffman love at 50 to 1. I don't hate it, but Charlie Hoffman has a brutal history at Muirfield Village. So uh, caveat emptor for everybody that wants to jump on the Charlie Hoffman bandwagon right now. I would rather at 50 to 1 take uh, Keegan Bradley, who's got a nice history here and has been playing really good golf, or Shane Lowry, who uh, sort of the same deal. Hasn't played great at this event, but he's trending in the right direction right now. Just a little bit lower. Uh, Ricky Fowler, uh, much like Justin Rose, who I talked about earlier, uh, spoke with Ricky Fowler a lot during the PGA Championship, and I'm telling you, good things are coming. It's not all going to be right away. It's not like I was going to peel off wins uh, in his next four events, but it is all going to start trending in the right direction for Ricky very soon. So uh, right off the bat, you you mentioned – people jumping on the Charlie Hoffman bandwagon. And literally my note next to Charlie Hoffman is put some respect on this man's name this season. <laughs> that is what I wrote down. He is eighth in strokes gained total on the PGA Tour. Eighth! That is hot. That's some lofty stuff for Charlie Hoffman. He was 77th in that stat last year. He's up to fifth on the PGA Tour in strokes gained approach per round. He's never seen a level like that in his career. He's figured something out with his approach game that makes him – Somebody I really like this week. I, I think he's an interesting top 10, top 20 play. I'm not going to pick him to win, but five straight top 20 finishes. I know his history is terrible here, as you mentioned, but I just I love the approach play metrics too much to, to ignore Charlie Hoffman. Another guy who's he's seen better days in his golf career, but has a great history in this event and is low on the low on the board. I think there's some value. I see Matt Kuchar at 100 to 1 to win. I don't like him to win. I like him to maybe top 10, top 20. I think there's some value there. Matt Kuchar is the best scoring average of any player at the Memorial Tournament the last 10 years. More than 40% of his career rounds have been in the 60s. So, like I said, he's not the player he once was at this point, but so much great course history here. I think there's some value potentially. Um, And the other guy I want to mention, there's four guys on the PGA Tour. So the two numbers I'm I'm really – honed in on this week are strokes gain approach and scrambling last year on the PGA tour, the toughest course all season long in terms of scrambling percentage was Muirfield village for the Memorial tournament. Mm -hmm. You know what the second toughest was all season Muirfield village for work day. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a question, right? So we talked about how important strokes gain approach is. There's four players on tour this season who are top 30 in strokes gain approach and scrambling Patrick Cantlay, who we talked about Mm -hmm. leader in scoring average of this event over the last several years. Charlie Hoffman put some respect on his name this season, as I said. Russell Henley, who's not playing as good a golf as he he did uh, about a month or two ago. Doug Gim. Doug Gim, really interesting to me because he ranks really high in those two key statistics. One of the four players, top 30, strokes gain approach and in scrambling. His scoring average is pretty good, ranked 44th on tour, but that underlying ball striking metrics say he's got the potential to card some even lower scores. I think Doug Gim is really interesting this week for some top 20, maybe top 10 action. I like that as well. I'm going to read off some numbers to you. These are Charlie Hoffman's results over the years <laughs> at the Memorial Tournament. I, I agree with everything you've said about Charlie. I, I think he's playing great. He's playing out of this world. He's playing the best golf of his career. Starting in 2007, 2007, 55th, 
72nd, 48th, 68th, 42nd, missed cut, 63rd, 19th, T19 in 2014, 45th, missed cut, missed cut. I, I just look, I somewhat someone's either winning or losing a lot of money based on the Charlie Hoffman decision this week. And I, I don't know which it's going to be. I, I'm, I'm firmly sitting on the fence right now because I know what he's done lately. I know how well he's playing. I also know that something about this golf course must be in his head based on those results. Cause there's not even one. I mean, even the best one, the only top 30 in the mix is a T19. It's not even like, well, he really, you know, at least he's got one good title contention in there where he played great. It's like, nice shot three under in the final round and worked his way up the leaderboard on the last day and made a decent money. paycheck, yeah. but it wasn't anything <laughs> too special. So I don't know. That's an interesting one. Uh, is there a name out here? And I know you mentioned Gim and you like him. I- I'm trying to find the David Lingworth, Will McGirt on this list somewhere. I-, I don't know that I have it. I I'm still not sure that if you showed me the list from 2015 and let me pick a hundred players, I could still pick. David Lingmarth. I, I might still lose money on, on that event six years later, but uh, I'll throw Luke List out at you. Luke List playing okay. off a sponsor's exemption this week. Luke List is 36 years old somehow. I, I'm not sure how that happened. I, I had Luke pegged as sort of this up-and-comer. Uh, just goes to show how old I am and how long I've been doing this because it was probably 12 years ago when he was 24, <laughs> right. and he was you know coming off the Corn Ferry Tour at that time, probably the Nationwide Tour, and he was playing some good golf. And I'm like, ah, this guy's going to be not necessarily a superstar, but he was sort of in the same vein back then as he hung out with Keegan Bradley a lot, Brendan Steele. Like, he was kind of one of those types of players who, hey, consistent, good player. When he's got his A game, he can contend seriously for a title. And when he doesn't, he'll be, you know, still a, a decent floor guy that can – uh, grind his way to making some cuts and he's played better lately I could see him as a guy we were ta- saying this about Kokrak earlier that he might play the best golf of his life later in his career I could see Luke List um, still playing some of the best golf of his life and he's got a couple of runner-ups a couple of top three finishes uh, on the PGA Tour over the course of his career but never a guy that's really sort of reached those expectations but Luke List is a guy who I do think that um, he can have a nice week this week. I got a name at 250 to one anytime I mentioned how this is one of the least strokes game putting is it's one of the weeks where it's at its lowest significance, right? In terms of on the PGA tour schedule, anytime you can try to remove putting from the equation, you think about Ben on a little bit because the guy who can strike the hell out of it just has had abysmal putting numbers throughout most of his career. So you might be able to find some value for him in like a top 20 or a top 40. He's at two fifty to one to win, but yeah, like we, we've talked about the Lingmurfs and the uh, McGirts of the world what, coming through with wins here. That's always something kind of tough to foresee, but um, I think that Luke List uh, idea is, is very intriguing. By the way, Brendan Steele, who I mentioned as well, 200 to 1. And I will also say that my editor, Michael Lieboff, if, and this will be a good litmus test to find out if he actually listens to this podcast or not. He should be, <laughs> I assume, but he bets Ben on every single week, no matter what. He's just waiting for him to bust out and win them a lot of money. So the fact that you have targeted Ben on as a decent long shot this week might mean that he's like throwing the bank at Ben on. So if oh, indeed, I don't need that pressure. I just grab, I just grabbed Ben on when I thought about the, the putting not being as significant this week. Oh no, he, trust <laughs> me, if he can lay this off on you, he will. But uh, yeah, Ben on, Ben on's not a bad idea. And by the way, my boy steel, you talk about not putting some respect on a guy's name, uh, steal at 200 to one and criminally underpriced. Statistically speaking, he's a remarkably average tour player, but it's the steely demeanor and resolve that have laid the foundation for his achievements. Uh, the recent results aren't great. He was like 70, 70th, 77th, 70th in his last three starts. There were things happening. Uh, I This is going to be a much better week, I think. I haven't spoken with him, but uh, I think this should be a good one for him this week. You ready to get to the uh, DraftKings lineup? Let's do it. I like right. it. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Uh, first of all, first observation I make here, Jordan Spieth, the most expensive name on the board, which a little bit surprising to me. Well, and I thought it was interesting when we talked about the, the top of the board as far as odds. And then you look at, usually there's a correlation between prices on DFS and you look at it and you're like, none of us are on the same page with any of this stuff this week. This was, 
uh, one of those weeks where it's like, I, you know, bookmakers and the DFS people are all on vacation for Memorial Day weekend. They're like, I don't know. I'm going to throw this up. I can't figure this out. I don't know. All right, you let me go first. I'm going to go with a guy at 9,300. Eight top 25s in his last 10 starts. He's become one of the most consistent players on tour. Top 10 in strokes gain off the tee, strokes gain approach, and in greens and regulation. Oh, and by the way, Corey Connors is now gaining strokes on the field per round with his putter. That's, that's something to look out for. He's really becoming one of the more consistent guys on tour. I'll give me Corey Connors at 9,300 to start us off. Like it. Um, I'm going to go with uh, maybe my second favorite player on the list, but he's a lot cheaper than my favorite. Uh, Joaquin Neiman shows up every single week. Uh, I'm not sure people realize just how good this guy is. Uh, didn't play great last week on the weekend, 72-70. It's still, the scores were decent at the Charles Schwab Challenge, but I remember uh, when Neiman came out, uh, speaking with him, I believe it was the Valspar Championship. It was like three years ago. Four years ago, he was 18, 19 years old, making one of his first starts. Might have still been an amateur at that point. I'm not even sure he had turned professional then. And I, I spoke with him and asked him, like, what kind of courses, you know, kind of serve your game? Where, where do you like to play? I said, well, in Chile, we have all these tree-lined golf courses. And I like to be able to, like, move the ball back and forth. I want to play golf shots and be able to work the ball back and forth uh, in and around the trees. I said, okay, all right. So um, I believe – there are some trees at Muirfield Village. I, last I checked, I, I know they've done a little redo there. I'll have to verify, um, but yes, I believe, yes, I, I believe there are some yeah. trees there. So I, I think Joaquin Neiman is a guy that is, uh, he's ready to pop at some point pretty soon. I like it. Good price. Awesome ball striking numbers this season, especially strokes gain approach. My next pick, I mentioned him earlier. I think he's a great value at 7,200 this week. 11th on the PGA Tour in strokes gain approach. He's in the top 20 in scrambling as well. That's going to be really important this week. Like I mentioned, the scrambling percentage, uh, the two toughest events on tour last year were at this course in back-to-back weeks, Muirfield, or Memorial and Workday. Uh, Doug Gim at 7,200, I think, is going to be some good value there this week. You know his nickname? Gimmer? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone else calls him this, but this is sort of the DFS community and the betting community have started calling him the Gim Reaper. Oh, okay. Do you like that? I like one? that. Okay. I like it. Nice. All right with it. All right, uh, let's see. We have three more picks. I'm going to go right in the middle at 8,000. A guy that I've been on for a while now. He's playing, talking about playing the best golf of your career. Uh, he was 17th at the PGA, 18th at Quail, second at the Valspar, 23rd at the Valero, 30th at the Honda, 29th at the Players, 10th at the Arnold Palmer. I mean, it's just week in, week out. Keegan Bradley continues to show up. He might not win the golf tournament, but he, he's still, that floor is very, very high. I think the ceiling side, I mean, we've seen from Keegan Bradley over the years that when he's playing his best golf, he's won a major championship. He's won a WGC event. He's won a FedEx Cup playoff event. So uh, he is not scared to go out there and win amongst a really big field. So I like Keegan uh, for what could be, should be a good week and could be a really good week. Like I mentioned, the the less significant statistic this week being strokes game putting. Keegan says, if I'm just even with strokes gain putting, I just got to not lose strokes to the field. I'm going to be in good shape. That's how good of a ball striker he is. I like that. Uh, my next guy, I told you to put some respect on his name earlier. <laughs> I don't care about his bad performances in the past at Memorial. Charlie Hoffman is top 10 on tour in strokes gain total and fifth in strokes gain approach. And he's got what? What do I, I got the note in front of me. It's five straight top 20 finishes. I'm going with Charlie Hoffman, 8,300. That leaves you with 8,400 for our last guy. All right. Well, if you're going to put Charlie on there, um, I'm going to have to dig us out of what could you be. You did not sell me on the course ball. history. I was co- I'm was i committed to my narrative here. I know. I, look, I, maybe maybe he'll match that T19 from <laughs> six or seven years ago and, and be able to uh, get back into that top 20 mix. All right. So there's a few oh, guys man. I'm looking at with 8,400 left. I, I really do like Shane Lowry. Um, he won the Bridgestone, of course, which, uh, if you're going to find a comp course to, to anything, I, I, you yeah. tell me, uh, Firestone and, and Muirfield village, uh, kind of comparable. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely probably the closest comp you can find on tour. Yeah. Okay. So, or what uh, used to be. On tour. Yeah. Right. I am, you know, obviously we can't go for the young players who didn't play there, but Lowry has some history there. I, I like him. Look, I, I like Sungjae all the time. I like Billy all the time. Horschel. Uh, Ricky Fowler is very, very tempting right there, as is Gary Woodland at 7900 I think that's a really good price for him. But I'm going to spend all of our money, and I'm going to go with Shane Lowry at 8400 
Okay. I, I just I like the recent results. He's trending in the right direction. Fourth of the PGA Championship a few weeks ago, um, and, and I do think that uh, you know you talk about scrambling. He's got the the one thing we always talk about. Shane Lowry. He's got the best hands out there. Uh, this is a guy who around the greens is really really good chipping the golf ball, and that should come in handy this week. So that's the team: Keegan Bradley, Corey Connors, Doug Gim, Charlie Hoffman, Shane Lowry, Joaquin Neiman. You like that? I know you don't like Charlie here, but uh, I, let's roll with it. Let's roll with these strong approach play numbers and the significant role that they're going to play this week at uh, Jack's place. I cannot wait. I, I am going to right now, like as soon as we get off the call for this pod, I'm going to put a star, like fill in the star on the PGA tour app next to Charlie Hoffman's name and have him right up on top because I can't wait to see what he does this week. And like I said, people are either winning or losing a lot of money this week based on how Charlie Hoffman plays. I mean, he's been. What's his favorite golf tournament? Valero, Texas Open. Mm-hmm. He's the career earnings leader there. Difficult course, demanding iron shots, rewards that ball flight where he's able to control it. I kind of see a lot of similarities there with with Muirfield. I don't know why he hasn't had a lot of success there in the past, but all the numbers are pointing towards success this he week. Jack so. Nicholas. <laughs> no, I, I'm making that up. If you've listened this far in the pod, do not. Uh, go with the fact that Charlie Hoffman hates Jack Nicholas. So uh, <laughs> thanks to everybody out there for listening to this edition of the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM. Thanks so much to Jay Ray uh, for coming back to the pod. Congratulations once again, buddy. I considered fleeing and leaving forever, but I, you know, <laughs> I decided to come back. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. Yes, he does. Yeah, those diapers aren't free. <laughs> oh, good luck to everybody with your picks for this week's Memorial Tournament, you can catch Jay Ray and I on The Gimme, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time this Wednesday. Check all your social channels for exactly where you can find that. Uh, the two of us and Amanda Rose every single week. Here's hoping you guys hit the green. We're finished talking. <laughs> 